Thank you for listening to the Rise Youth Podcast. We are starting a brand new series called Jesus Isn't, debunking common errors people have about Jesus. Rise Youth is a youth group that is passionate about seeing a Jesus movement in our schools. We exist to rise up and saturate our schools with the gospel. To do that, we need people to know who Jesus is. Would you join us for the next several weeks of this series as we look at all these common errors and ultimately point to who Jesus is. Since I was a teenager, I struggled with an inner atheist, this little voice inside that's constantly arguing against Christianity. And so for many years, I actually read a apologetic book every single year, a different one, whether it was Lee Strobel or Mark Clark or C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer or whoever. I say all that to tell you this that it is important for us in this scientific age of skepticism and disbelief to know that Jesus isn't fake. Jesus is the real God of the universe. We can live lives in a real relationship with him. So today we're gonna talk about the topic of apologetics. And what the word apologetics comes from is 1 Peter 3.15, which says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter says there's going to be a point where people see the hope and the joy and the power that's in you because of Jesus. And they're going to say, what is it about you that makes you different? And what you're to do in that moment is give a reasonable defense. He says, make a defense. And the word there for defense isn't to be defensive or argumentative. It's actually the Greek word apologia, which literally means a reasoned defense. It's to give a reason. It's to give an intellectual backing for why you believe in Jesus uh, so much. And so rather than getting angry or fighting with people and arguing, we're to give reasons. And so today we're going to do just that. We're going to make a reasonable defense for the faith against three common questions. And so these questions are going to be things you hear in school and from teachers and in when you get into college, and these are going to be a big deal. And so we're going to go one by one. The first one is this. There is no one true truth. I don't know if you've heard that at school from a teacher or from somebody else. Sometimes it's said differently. Sometimes we say um, no one world religion has the corner on truth or what is true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. And this actually is not a new argument. It's actually something that came even to Jesus when he was on trial with Pontius Pilate. It happened in John 18, 33, when they drug him to Pontius Pilate and he's being investigated, being interrogated, it says this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or do you do others say it about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, 
My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? And this is the big question then, and it is our question today, is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus the king of the Jews? Is Jesus the king of the universe? Is Jesus king of a kingdom that is outside of this world? Is Jesus God? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says, I'm not only the king of the universe, I am the truth. You should say that I am the truth. And in verse 38, Pilate said to him, and here's the question of the age. Here's the question that's burning on everyone's heart at your school. Here is the question that you and I should answer tonight. What is truth? What is truth? Pilate responds with the answer of a skeptic. What is truth? And this is the question of our day. In fact, we live in an age that people call postmodernism. We live in postmodernism. So what is this word postmodernism? Really big word. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Modernism is the age where people believe there was meaning to stuff, right? This is where science comes from. This is where a lot of um, the things that we have in technology come from is a modern age that said, man, we can use logic and reason to find our way forward in life. And they believed there was meaning to things. But in postmodernism, it's basically, the word post means after. And so we live in after meaning. We live in an age that is after meaning, where today everyone says, well, there's no one true truth. There's no one world religion that can tell you what to do. There's not one morality. And so we can change morality any way we want. We are postmodern. We are after meaning after truth. That's the age you live in, is the age after truth. Isn't that interesting? Um, In fact, postmodernism isn't only philosophical. Postmodernism even bleeds into our art. If you look at art today, you will see um, things that are meaningless. If you go to Rockwood, uh, just down the street from where I am right now, Rockwood has uh, at the max station, these large purple spikes that are coming out of the ground, um, and there's multiple of them kind of fanned out, and they light up t- during the night, and you could look at that and be like, what is the deep meaning here? And it's almost trying to say there is no meaning. Like, the, our city made this spiky thing that, and it's like, what's the meaning? There is no meaning. The point is that there's no meaning. That's called postmodern art. You'll see it everywhere. In fact, at Target Cascade Station, um, I, I take my kids there, and there are these big, round, red balls that are just kind of like out on the sidewalk. They're made of cement, and my little boy, Remy, who's one and a half, he always wants to climb up on He's like, ball, ball, daddy, ball, and he tries to climb up, and it's like super dangerous. He's like falling off. I'm like, no, don't smack your face on the cement, and what is this? Uh, round ball even there for the whole time I'm like this is not even safe like why do they have to put these here all my kids want to do is get up on these dangerous things and and what's the point of them and the point is they're postmodern art they don't have a meaning they are a representation in art of being in an age that is post-truth and they are dangerous for my kids and I wish they would rip them out of the ground I hate Target (laughs) and you know what else is dangerous about postmodernism it's not just the art that's dangerous because it's meaningless junk in my way on my way into Target, but it's also dangerous philosophically because it's an age that says, what is truth? And in this age, we actually find people who say, because there is no one true truth, there's no one morality, 
that we actually disagree with Christianity and consider Christianity bigoted. People look at Christians for saying there's moral claims outside of human beings that are true that people should live by, and they say they're bigots because they don't agree that everybody should just be able to do whatever they want. And I want to argue against postmodernism. I want to argue against that there is, the idea that there is no true truth. And here's the argument against that. It's very simple. That if somebody tells you there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as one true, ultimate, absolute truth, just look at them and say, but do you believe what you just said is true? Because as soon as somebody says there's no true truth, they're making a logical claim, an argument about what is true. They are making a truth claim. They're making a truth claim saying, well, if you don't believe that there is no truth, then you're wrong. How does that make any sense? It's backwards reasoning. They are philosophically sawing the branch they are sitting on. They are sawing off logic, truth, in order to make a truth claim that there is no truth. This is ridiculous because the same people who would say that, if you ask them, hey, what did you think about Nazis like burning people alive in boiler rooms in the 1940s? They would look at you and say, I think that's insane. I think it is evil and it is wrong and you should not do it. I can't believe they did it. That's disgusting. And you look at them and say, well, wait a second, you just told me that there is no one true truth. There is no one ideology or religion. There is no one morality. So how can you impose your morality over the Nazis? You just did the very thing you said you can't do. Because in a world that is postmodern, in a world that says there is no one true truth, you can't say that anyone's morality is wrong because everybody's way is right for them. Everybody's truth is right for them. Even crazy people like the Nazis. It doesn't work. And so... In a world that is confused about truth, where is the truth and what is the truth? John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the most honest and intelligent man that has ever lived, looks at humanity and says, there is one true truth. And it's not just an idea. It's not just a principle out there about morality or whatever else. Truth is a person. You can look in his eyes. He died for your sin. He rose again in victory. And he is the God of the universe and wants to have a real relationship with you. He is real. He matters. He is majestic. And he invites you to know him. Do you know the truth? And, and if you're a Christian today, do you walk with the truth? Do you look in his eyes and do you spend time with the truth of the universe? Here is the second um, argument you're going to hear. That science explains away God. That science leaves no room for God. That it's unintelligent to believe in God. You'll hear this from teachers at your school. You'll have that science teacher or that professor in college who will basically say it's stupid to believe in God. You'll have smart friends or even dumb friends 
who deny that God could exist because science told them. Man, when I was like 19, 18, something like that, I was at a friend's house who I considered really, really smart. It was a party and many family members there. And uh, at one point, somebody asked me from this party, and I knew they were not Christians, all right? These are very smart people, scientific people. They asked me like, hey, what are you doing for college? And I was about to go to Bible college, and I wussed completely out because I knew it would be offensive. And I was like, well, I'm going to study world religions, because I was so afraid that they would think I was dumb for studying the Bible. And man, like, I want you to know that you are not dumb for studying scripture, for following Jesus. Science isn't sufficient. Science is important and it's good, but you're not unintelligent to believe in God because science doesn't explain away God. In fact, the Bible gives sound reasoning, a sound logical argument for why science does not explain away God. And here's one of them. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That all day long, the sky above is declaring that God exists. Something about the way the sky speaks in its beauty, in its majesty, says there is a God who created this. Look at Romans 1, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the immortal uh, excuse me, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Here's his point, that in the created order, when we look out and perceive the beauty that's there, or we look at the enormity of the universe, we look at the stars in the sky, if we look at the microscopic level and see the intricacy there, all of it proclaims that there is a God who judges the world. He has made things for an order, even a moral order, and he is whom we are accountable to. And yet, here's the interesting thing. We, in this scientific age, do exactly what Paul says here in Romans 1. We take that created order and we say, hmm, this is so intricate. There's not a God. No, it is the God. That the created order itself is what I'll worship. And so, ooh, look at humanity. Look how beautiful it is. Look how attractive it is. We'll just worship humans. Or look at the birds in the sky. Man, creation itself is so glorious. So let's spend our lives protecting creation and making sure that the earth is perfect. And I'm not against protecting creation. I'm not against animals. But man, we as human beings so fall in love with the creation, which it is beautiful and God made it for that. But instead of declaring that God is God, our tendency is to say, well, no, this creation itself is really all there is. And so we ought to spend our lives on it. Let's spend our lives researching it. Let's spend our lives protecting it. Let's spend our lives adoring it. And so we value money, which is what a created thing. 
gold and silver and nice things that we can make out of metal and phones and uh, computers and um, all of these amazing things we craft with our own hands. What are they made from? They're made from the elements of the earth. And then we put them on an altar in our hearts and we worship them. We're like, look at my sick new drone or look at my uh, amazing fashion or look at the cool way that I skateboard or, or the, the sports, uh, you know, things that I'm involved in, man, that is what I give my life to. I'm on ESPN, just obsessed with the scores. What we're doing there is we're saying, man, this creation, this thing that we live in, it's all there is. And all of the stuff that we make from it, that's worth our worship. So we spend all our time watching TV or binging Netflix or, you know, enjoying the created order, which is all good things. Yet we exchange that God in the heaven who created it for the things he made. And Paul's like, that's crazy. The creation and all its beauty and amazingness should teach our hearts that there's a God who's judging the world. There's a God who wants our hearts. There's a God who uh, has a moral order. And then in Acts 17, we see a similar argument. Paul is seeking to present the gospel, an argument for Jesus, um, an argument for the gospel to all of these intellectuals. And look at how he uh, positions himself. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Again, the created order can't contain God. He's bigger than it. He made it. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since God, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There's creator and there's creation and God's outside of the created order. He's bigger than it. He made it. And so don't worship creation. And then he finishes with it. Very interesting. He says, he made everything from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Now he's talking about how God made humanity and how um, he determined basically the human story and where all of us end up, and here we are, right? Verse 27, that they, human beings, should what? Seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And so what's his point? He says, look at this. God himself gave us all of these good things, he, he made humanity. He determined where we would live. He gave us all the things we enjoy. He gave us our very lives so that what? We might feel our way toward the creator, that we would feel our way towards him through the good things that he's made, that we would, as one theologian put it, follow the ray of sunshine all the way up to the sun. In other words, that we would follow the beauty that God has made all the way back up to the beautiful God who made it. That's what we ought to do. And, and listen, that's a sound logical argument. It is foolish to look at creation, the scriptures are telling us, and say, and the creation itself is the beautiful thing my heart longs for. No, God made a beautiful creation and the world is so very complex. The creation is so very complex. It speaks to that it has a designer. And here's what people want to do. They want to say that evolution created everything, right? And that evolution gives us a way of explaining where everything came from, where all animals and ultimately humans came from, that explains a way that God exists. And that is foolish, 
because that is the equivalent of walking out into a forest and finding a car that got left there and saying, wow, look at the intricacy of this design. Look at the engine. Look at the way it works. Look at the way that even the key is designed to fit um, lock and groove. And man, like how can we uh, explain basically where this car came from? Well, I know where it came from. Over thousands, billions even of years, this was designed on accident. Man, that denies what we call the second law of thermodynamics. In other words, entropy, this idea that the world is falling apart, that as time goes on and the universe expands, and we know that the universe is expanding, that things come apart. They don't, they don't piece back together. And yet the whole theory of evolution is built on this idea that the created order accidentally generated, that the impersonal universe accidentally bumped into itself enough times that rocks were bumping in and gases were flowing in such a way that Earth had the right elements, gases blowing to create the first cell the first living cell, which in and of itself, if you look into what a living cell requires, has so much intricacy. I mean, the thing is a machine that even for a human being to design a cell is mind-blowing. And yet we're saying, oh, in evolution, the story is that like gases were going and and basically the right elements were in the right place and, and it ac accidentally created water and then wa pools of water contained um, proteins that accidentally bumped into each other, made DNA and made cells. Are you kidding me? That's what evolution hinges on? And then you're saying evolution explains where everything came from. Therefore, we didn't need a God to get this intelligent life that we are as human beings. So there is no God. And then we look at the created order and we say, see, it just generated itself and it's foolish. And let's say you could have a living cell accidentally generate itself. Let's say we could prove that, which we cannot and no one ever has. If you were able to say that and you were to say, well, things actually, you almost have to ask, but where did the universe come from? And philosophers and astronomers alike ask that question. And people have basically answered it with this. Well, the universe just always existed or there's multiple universes and all kinds of different principles in these different universes is called the multiverse. And these universes basically generate more universes by a similar process of just accidental physiological things that happen in these universes and result in another universe. Wait a second. Let's take that all the way back in time to eternity. But where did it all come from? What was the first spark? And the theologian who believes in God, along with the scientists, are left with really the same question. Did nothing create everything? Which is what science claims. Did nothing create everything? That out of nowhere, things just sparked and were created? Or did something create everything? And better yet, the theologian says, man, an intelligent someone Science cannot explain away the biggest questions of life. They can only answer small questions like what is actually here. Science, by its nature, is designed to ask the question like what's actually there? Let's observe it and, and, and ask where did it come from? Science leads you to the same question that theology does. Where did it all come from? And the only answer 
is either something created everything, someone created everything, or nothing created everything. And nothing we know cannot create everything. And so what should we do? And we should look at the heavens. We should look at the creation. We should look at our very lives, and we should acknowledge there is a creator. The other day I watched uh, Ollie at 5 in the morning when we woke up. Uh, go over to the window, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, look over here. And I was like, what is it? And he said, Daddy, there's cotton candy in the sky. And I was like, what? Like, I looked over, and I saw the sky was aflame with pink and light blue, and it was a sunset that was gleaming from our window. And I just watched the awe on this little boy's face as he just stared and was like amazed and mesmerized by this. And I was like, Ollie, did you know why God makes sunsets like that or sunrises? Rather, it wasn't sunset, it was a sunrise. And he said, why, Daddy? I said, he's trying to woo your heart towards him. He wants to draw you to his heart. God made that for you. When I was a little boy, um, me and my, old, my younger brother, Leaf, used to stay up late at night and we'd sneak into each other's bunk beds and and talk and my parents didn't know that we were up but we were talking late 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 into the night we would as very little boys wonder about is man where is everything going what happens when you die where is the where is the galaxy the universe the stars where is it all going does it go forever is there something beyond this world? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. Man, God has written eternity on our hearts and we are made to ask these big questions that science ultimately can't explain because God wants us to find him. Here's the thing, if you don't know that, if you don't believe that, if you aren't convicted of that, the real danger here is that ultimately... The world wants you to believe, and this is kind of our final error, that you're just an animal. I mean, they want you to believe that you are just an animal. And has there ever been a lie more birthed in hell than that? I mean, just think about it. If you're just an animal, then basically all of your urges, all of your desires, all of your angers, all of your um, everything that comes to your heart naturally, basically, is all okay. Because after all, you're just an animal. I remember a number of years ago, I saw on the news that a girl had thrown her baby in the garbage, just full-blown at the college, thrown a baby in the garbage. The baby was found in the garbage. And I'm going, what? Like, who, like, how do you do that? And, and was there mental illness? Like, was the baby unwanted? How can you throw your own child away? Oh, is this a desperate situation? Like, something is at foot here. And it's interesting because some of the news reporters talking about the issue um, they explained it this way. They said, well, everybody's freaking out, but listen, this is only natural. Like, it's only natural that some women would throw their children away. After all, we've evolved from animals, and what's best for our survival as a species sometimes is to get rid of the unfit. The unfit babies and unborn who um, something in our instinct knows we need to get rid of. In other words, because we're just animals, moments like this are normal. And on the one hand, I'm like, 
really disturbed by that. But on the other hand, like, let's face it, what that reporter was doing was being ultra honest if evolution is true. He's being ultra honest if evolution is the only explanation for where humans came from, that science explains away God. Man, we're just animals. But you and I know that deep down that's not true. I mean, when someone very close to me was raped years and years ago, I wasn't like, well, duh, this makes sense. Because evolution explains that some people would just have the urge to rape another. And it just makes, no, I, like deep down in my soul, I was like, I want to destroy that guy. What do you mean that you were raped? It's wrong. And listen to me. It is right for you to believe that there is moral right and wrong and we are more than animals. Look at what Romans 2 tells us. Look at verse 12. It says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show, and this is key, that the work of the law, basically God's moral code, is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them on that day when according to my gospel god judges the secrets of men by christ jesus what's romans 2 telling us and romans 2 is saying that deep in our souls god has written a conscience and even though some of our consciences are a little more seared than others or maybe we've uh, been raised in a context where we our consciences are a little different Right, But generally speaking, all of us have an internal moral code that we know we must live by, we must abide by. And when we see others do wrong and cut us off you know, in the, in the, in, while we're driving or cut in front of us in a line at the grocery store or whatever, something in us says, like, that's not, that's not right. And what that is is it's God writing on our hearts what is right and wrong according to his scriptures by virtue of the way he created us. Man, the creation doesn't tell us because of science and the way the things we observe that there is no God. On the contrary, the evidence is overwhelming in the created order, even in our own souls, that there is a God. And man, I need you to clue into that last line that we just read, where Paul says, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You know, in the in the bedrock of your soul in the core of your being you actually know that one day god is going to judge men and women that the, on the final day you and i are going to give an account for our lives and jesus is going to separate what he calls the sheeps and the goats basically those who are his followers those who follow him heart and soul those who love him those who are his people who've been forgiven by him and those who have not been forgiven, those who do not follow him, those who do not love him, those who lived life for themselves. There are only two options at the end of the age. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. There are going to be those who say, thy will be done to God. And there are going to be those who say, my will be done to ourselves. And God will judge us for it. And listen to me. You need hope for that day. 
You need hope for that day that actually changes your whole life even now. You need to know the forgiveness of Jesus. And there are only two options. Either Jesus judges you by his life because you are forgiven by his blood. That you say, Lord, will you forgive me? Release me from the debt of my sin. Will you not count my life by what I have done? But will you cover my life by your forgiving blood on the cross where you died for all of my sin? Or we are going to be judged by our own life and all of us have sinned and fallen short. Our consciences know that. That's why when you're honest, man, you know, man, I've done some things and I've said some things. I've even thought some things that God sees and I know it's wrong and I will be judged for it. And listen, you can be forgiven today by Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to ask for his forgiveness. You need to decide in your heart that you're going to start following Jesus. You need to talk to God and do business with him today. Man, what an awesome thing that Jesus will forgive you. He'll fill you with his spirit. Your whole life will be completely washed clean by his blood, man. Enter a relationship with Jesus as he forgives you. Others of you who've been following Jesus need to begin to live your whole life trusting him that he is not fake, but he is real and your life matters. So here's what you need to do. For those of you who are already following him or not following him and are going to start today, all of us need to do this, that because Jesus is real, because he's real in our lives, because he's real reigning over the universe, even right now, we need to not only do real life with him and for him, but we need to do real life with one another. We'll never be our full selves if we don't live in community in light of the real Jesus with one another. And so what we're doing at Rise Youth is we're doing real life with one another, with a real God. We're starting something called groups, okay? And what groups are is a group of, you know, 10, 12, 15 people from your age group, or maybe even some of them will be smaller, which is awesome and even better. But they're groups where you uh, are going to be same age, same gender with with a, a leader from Rise Youth, and we meeting every other week, either at youth group or at a coffee shop or something like that, and hanging out and actually being accountable to one another, growing as disciples of Jesus, uh, answering questions uh, to get to know one another and to get to know God's word better. It's basically like a Bible study, but uh, not not as... Um you know, intensely focus on the Bible, but actually like, how do we live this in our, in our everyday lives? And this is going to be like a squad of people that you can love and get to know. And so, man, because Jesus is real, would you do real life with one another? We're starting groups, um, in four weeks from now on October 16th, before or after youth group, or maybe in another night, uh, we will have a group for you. And so we want to encourage you to look forward to that, to be ready for that. Um, we also have this opportunity to do Awaken Retreat. Awaken Retreat's coming up in just about a week and a half, and we want you guys registered. If you've not registered, Retreat's gonna be an amazing time at Trap Creek Bible Camp, coffee in the morning or whatever hot drink you like, the fog overlaying everything, time together with friends, getting to know each other in the cabins, playing games, having uh, fun activities all day, tons of free time, eating camp food, and, and then having sessions where we study God's word and get to know one another and grow and worship Jesus. It's going to be an amazing time. So register for a retreat, look forward to groups, and man, live in light of the real Jesus who loves you and died for you. Jesus isn't fake.
Hey, thanks again for listening to the Rise Youth Podcast. We hope to see you on a Wednesday. We meet every Wednesday, 7 p.m. at Sanctuary Church off Orient. Rise Youth exists to rise up and saturate our schools with the gospel.